Father in heaven, great God Almighty, you are kind and merciful. You said to them, be it unto you according to your faith. Let it be according to my faith, Lord, that you would speak to me. Speak through me, of course, Lord, I pray, anoint me. But all of us were calling you. We want to hear from you. We want to talk to you. We need the Holy Ghost to work in our life. We're believing, Lord, great things, powerful word, powerful effect, transformational work in our lives. We're looking for that and expecting that in Jesus' name. And somebody said, in Jesus' name. You may be seated. You may be seated. Thank you. Hopefully you have an outline to somebody. If you're missing one, they, they've got some in the back. And I want to uh, say to the office and Sister Rochelle especially a big thank you. She always makes my outlines look like they make somewhat of sense. And I'm so thankful for that. And, and she even has, well, let's not tell Pastor this part. She gives me different rules than everybody else has. Or I don't know. Maybe that's what she tells me. Because I'm... According to my brother, I'm supposed to have these things in like immediately, like now for next year or something like that. I'm not, it sounds like that to me. And I'm always late. You know, it's like Tuesday, it's Wednesday morning. It's like, God have mercy. I'm getting up at five o'clock. I got to get this thing done right now and pray and fast and get the whole thing over to Rochelle and she's going to make it beautiful and get it out. Sometimes it's like right hot off the presses comes and just falls in your lap and just, you know. They're back there with the stone masonry cutting it out. So I, I'm so thankful, Trisha. I appreciate that very much. And I'm delighted for the word of the Lord. I'm thankful for this pulpit. I'm glad for the opportunity to minister. I'm thankful for Brother Tim back there. I heard he did a fantastic job last Wednesday that I missed, and I appreciate that. And I tell him that I give him all his ideas, but that's not probably true either. Anyway, the Lord is good. The Lord been good to you? All right. So here we go. We're going to start in Ruth chapter 1. If you have a Bible or a friend that has a Bible, or you just trust me, or they might even be on the back, we're going to read 10 verses of Ruth chapter 1. I think that's what I have in my outline, don't I? What do I have? Yep. Oh, no, I have Jeremiah. Sorry, I'm not going to read Ruth. I want to get to Ruth. I'm not there yet. Let's go back to Jeremiah. Let's go back to, you know, that would have been funny to ask them to put something up there that I hadn't asked them for. It's always interesting to see how that works out. Okay, so now Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah, some of you are feverishly flipping through Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1, I think it's still in the Old Testament. Get that page there. Anybody got it? Say amen. All right. That was very few. If you have the verse, say amen. If you don't have it, say, I don't have it. Okay. (laughs) Jeremiah Jeremiah 18, not the bullfrog, the prophet. J-E-R-E-M-I-A-H. Jeremiah. All right. You got it now? All right. Good. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Stop there just a minute. It makes you wonder, aren't you talking, Lord, right now? Sounds like you're telling words and Jeremiah is hearing them. But even the prophet, 
God wanted to use illustrations in life right in nature. Sometimes we have to get up where we're at and go hear the word of the Lord. Don't forget that. Then I went to the potter's house, down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. Those are spinning wheels, stone wheels, that they would have a pedal on the floor causing them to move, and that caused the clay to be spinning around, around, around for the potter's hand and some water, skill and dexterity to shape that into the jar or pottery or vessel he's wanting to shape it into. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. We're going to get back to that word. That's the key word in this passage, marred. So he made it again, another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. So all this time, Jeremiah has heard from the Lord in his own house. Now he's got to get up, get dressed, get out. He's there. There's no word of the Lord. He's just watching something in front of him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as with this potter, saith the Lord. Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so ye are in mine hand, O house of Israel. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down, to destroy it. If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn, and that's the Lord's favorite word, turn, turn from their evil. When he talks about repentance, he likes to use the word turn. Turn from the evil ways. Turn and repent. Turn from the evil. I will repent of the evil that I thought to do of them, unto them. Or a better word is even relent. What I planned won't happen. It's not repentance like God is sorry. That's a different kind of repent. That word simply means relent. Or what was planned, what was on its way to you is stopped. And what instant I shall speak concerning the nation and concerning the kingdom to build and to plant it. If it does evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice. Do you see those two things there? Clear indicators. If it do evil in my sight, that's not the sight of men. That's not the sight of government. That's not even the sight of churches. In the sight of the Lord. There's no sight that he misses, right? That it obey not my voice, which is a, also a key indicator that something's wrong then I will repent or relent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. All right. The potter's house. Strong's Concordance says of this about the word marred. Marred. We don't use that word often in life. Marred. It's defined as to be spoiled, to be corrupted, be ruined, or be rotten. Marred. Marred is, it's ruined. It's over. It's done. It's destroyed. It's worthless. Now the story characters in this story are as follows. We, as you might have guessed, are the clay. Someone say, I'm the clay. Isaiah says it like this, but now, O Lord, 
thou art our father, we are the clay, thou art powder, and we are all the work of thine hand. God is the potter. We are literally in his hands. Literally in his hands. We don't realize the hand of the Lord. We don't see it because it's invisible to our senses. God's hand literally is the solid rock which we stand. The song says all other ground is sinking sand. He literally is the solid rock. We stand on it. I'm on a platform that was built before some of you were even here. Some of you took pens and markers and wrote scriptures. Some remember that? Maybe where you put your verses? The platform holds me up in a way so you can see me from the back to the front. Gives that kind of a line of sight, ability to see. It literally is what I stand on. It's solid, it's powerful, it's strong. But it it doesn't compare to to the solidness of God's hand. You're in his hand. Immediately the Lord decided to, he could destroy us or close his hand or say it's over for you. He can, as the word says, decide for an entire nation or kingdom. I'm going to build it and plant it. I'm going to bless it until it does evil. And then he says, no, I'm going to relent to what I planned for them. We are in God's hand. He is the potter. We are the clay. Then there's the uncooperative lump, a stubborn hard place in that clay. Something happened. Something was there. It represents our carnal desires, our sins, those choices we make, our refusal of God's grace, and disobedient to his directions. Everybody in this building, every one of us are human. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us can say at some point, Lord, I am that, I have been that uncooperative lump. Hopefully you're not that tonight, but you might be. Or you might have in you, Lord, most of me wants to serve you, but I struggle sometimes in with this or that problem. Now the pottery, this is God's intended design. How encouraging and exciting it is that God has an intended design for you. For every one of us, God has a beautiful architectural concept of our life. His desire for the clay's existence, that this would be a vessel he could use and to be one of honor. A vessel of honor. Listen to what the word says about God and his intended heart for us. I will praise thee, the psalmist said, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Jeremiah says several chapters later, for I know the thoughts I think toward you. God says this, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Paul says in Philippians, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. We do not serve a deadbeat dad. He did not begin us and disappear. He didn't start us and walk away. He didn't say, here's the keys and I'm going to be gone. We've got a God that's actively involved in our life. The Bible does not say that Jesus sat on the couch and encouraged everyone who would come by the house. It doesn't say he stood on the mountain and said, I'll be having services here. Whenever you want to come by, I'll see you. 
The Bible says it very simply. He went about doing good. There's Jesus going to people. There's Jesus going to people. Jesus not leaving well enough alone. Jesus getting to places he's not supposed to be. Jesus talking to women he's not supposed to talk to because they're Samaritan. Jesus going across county country lines. Jesus talking to this person. Jesus having dinner over here. Jesus going about doing good. He's actively involved. So much so that the disciples said, Lord, the crowds are following you. This is a great place. Things are happening. And Jesus said, no, I must go to other cities. I'm not staying right here. I must go to more people. I must, I must continue to go. We have a great God that loves us and cares about us. So here's the result, unfortunately, of the story. At least it appears to be the results. The pottery was sadly ruined, twisted, marred, and did not turn out as the potter hoped it would. And yet, it was not over. Wow, how encouraging. It was not thrown in the trash. It was not finished. It was not worthless. Verse 4 says, So he made it again, another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. That right there is enough to encourage my life, anyone's life, to realize, here's my core understanding for the rest of the conversation. The potter said, it appears to be broken. It's done. It's over in your eyes but not in my eyes. God is the one in charge of our lives. Not the enemy. Not what appears to be to my limited vision. He's the one in charge. God decides. He has the power to close and open doors. And Isaiah, speaking of a man, but, but in a type and shadow of Jesus Christ, and the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. So he shall open and none will shut. And he'll shut it, and none will open. We serve a fantastic God. A God who sees differently than we do. Amen? Boy, what an exciting message that is. A concept to realize in the potter's house, what appears to be broken, and marred, and twisted, and ruined, and done, and over, all of us would say, by my best reckoning, throw it out in the trash. Yet the potter says, no, I'm going to make it again. I'm going to make it again. Wow. So is it over or is it? It's cut down to the stump. You know some situations right now that I'm talking about in your life or the life of those that you love. The situation is impossible. It's dead for all the people can ever see and understand. And yet, there is something God's still doing. I was... Very sick. Uh, there's a long story, and I won't tell you the whole thing. Maybe you've heard it before. I uh, had gone to college. I was gone my first year. I had finished my second semester. I started my third semester, the second half, and got extremely sick. Over the process of time, I lost 35 pounds. I went from 165 to 130. Mom and dad were terrified. The church was praying. We went to the little, ho- the little doctor in town, and then the little hospital in town, and then to the big hospital far out of town. And nothing, there was no indications of anything wrong with me. Matter of fact, they re- finally released me with nothing but asthma. They said, That's, we don't know what's wrong with him. But mom would come and sleep on a cot of some sort, a little bed over here to the right of my bed. And I'd hear her in the night praying and reading her Bible, and praying and reading her Bible. And one night she said, 
Scott, I have a word from the Lord for you. If this is my passage, Job 14, 7 through 9. This is for me. For there is hope of a tree, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again, and that the tender branch thereof will not cease. Though the root thereof wax old in the earth, and the stock thereof die in the ground, that seems to be really a horrible situation. Any, anyone with sense about plants can say, right now we are not looking good. This is, this is bad. And going from bad to worse. I don't know how, what that means. People see it all of my life. It's bad, but it's going from bad to worse. I don't know what worse is. And what happens after bad to worse? There's not worser. My English teacher told me that wasn't a word. But somehow it keeps on going downhill. The root is old in the earth. The stalk dies in the ground. Yet, through the scent of water, it will bud and bring forth boughs like a plant. Right now, you could pronounce dead over some of your ministries. Some dreams you've had, callings, children you've prayed for, situations. You're, you, I, I feel the Lord, uh, the Spirit of the Lord. And I, I tell you what I prayed for. I prayed, God, take my words, take the, my ability, every feeble thing I can say, and magnify it. Take your own word and honor it. And let it be expounded. Let it explode in our spirit that it would really get a hold of us. When I was praying that, you know, the Lord reminded me something so silly. My grandpa, years and years ago, said, Scotty, what is two and two? And I said, four. And he said, no, it's 22. That's a dumb joke. It's a grandpa joke. But you know what? That's how great my God is. He can take my little two and two and make it 22. Now, I know that's not right math. Somewhere that's wrong, but it works. We have a powerful God. I'm talking to you right now. Don't listen, don't miss this message and think it's for someone else. It's for you. You may say, my situation is like that root, like that tree. It's gone to nothing. There's not an option. There's not a way to get it out. What I thought would be alive is dead. Yet, the word says through the scent of water, it will bud and bring forth boughs like a plant. Mom said, Scott, I don't know why you're going through this. God has a plan. I don't know what he's doing. I have no idea. But at some point, that verse is going to come true in your life. It took 11 years. 11 years, a lot of prayer meetings, fasting, going to special places where people prayed. I don't know why we did that. I did it. Finally, in a little church somewhere, just doing, working for the Lord, working in a Christian school, had some kind of revival service. Everybody's getting prayed for. I'm not getting prayed for because I've been doing this for a long time. I've been this sick person for a long time. I've been the guy who gets sick, you know, bronchitis and pneumonia and bronchitis and asthma and get weak and sick. That was, that's just my existence. That's my mind. I didn't realize I had gotten into the sick one. I was the sick one of every group. Mom and dad and Jeffrey and Dana, I'm the sick one. I have two children, two little children. We're in the church. I'm over here. And the pastor said, hey, Scott, let's pray for you. I said, okay, do it. So they did, and nothing happened. Very exciting. Just what you thought would happen. But the next morning, my mother-in-law said, Kathy Hudiger, she said, Scott, I work for, as you know, two cardiac heart surgeons down here in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. And for some reason, I just was talking to them about you. I don't know why. And they said, you should go talk to Dr. Arnold G. Brody in St. Louis. And maybe there's something wrong with your adrenal glands. Maybe you should go up there. I said, okay, sure, whatever, I'll go there. 
I went there and he took my, uh, all my samples. He stood there and looked at me for a while and said, let me see your hands. I showed him my hands and said, no, turn them over. He said, you don't, why, do, why don't you have any spots on the back of your hands? I thought, what kind of question is that? Because um, this is how I was born? I don't know. He said, uh, how are you able to have two children? I said, I don't know. I have a wife. It kind of works that way sometimes. Uh, he said, no, you don't understand. That, that's not right. He said, your adrenal glands are shriveled up. You have no, no chemicals flowing into your body that you're supposed to have. I told him about freezing to death, that I felt like I did. I think I did. He said, I'm not sure what happened, but we're going to give you some prednisone and you'll be fine. And thank God, eventually I trade, changed to another med. But I'm taking that every day. It's just the replacement for what my body should be making. And immediately I went to school, working with the kids, started getting hungry, eating food like I never ate before. My weight shot back up. I was never in the hospital again. I don't know why that was like that. I don't know why. All I know that through the scent of water, that dead root, that, that tree that's gone, it's over, it's dead, it's, there's no hope, it's out. Yet, it's not out. It's not over until God says it's over. He's the potter. He's so powerfully able to take your situation and yours and his and hers and take them and say, I'm going to make it over again. Oh, we serve a mighty God. I don't think we understand how powerful he is, how able he is, how no situation can stand up to him toe-to-toe and say, I am impossible. He brushes that away and says, there is no impossible with me. Come on, somebody, just, just take a minute and say, Lord, I love you. I invite you, Lord, into my heart and my mind. I, I give my praise and worship and adoration. I turn my face to heaven and say, with men it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I want you in this place. I want you more than all my notes, all my work, all my effort. I want you, Lord, right now. Mm. King Nebuchadnezzar had a horrible dream. He saw this tree, and it turned out, because of Daniel's interpretation, it was likened to him, a powerful tree that was going to be cut down. A stump banded about with iron, limited, boxed in, kept in a type of bondage. I think to myself when I read that, Lord, why did you say they banded about with iron? It's like I'm going to set these boundaries that there's not any hope to get out of it. Some of you right now could say, my life is banded about with iron. My situation is like fixed, boxed in. Cannot be broken out of, like bondage. He was finished, over, done, and yet, God said it's for a time. I have a moment of restoration in my mind. Listen to this in Daniel. He cried aloud and said thus, Hew down the tree, this is the angel, or the watcher, as the word says, and cut off his branches, shake off his leaves, and scatter his fruit. These are all metaphorically of his kingdom, his increase, his power, his riches, his ability, his wisdom. Let the beast get away from under it and the fowls from his branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beast in the grass of the earth. 
Listen to what Micah, Micaiah says about God and what he intends. Therefore, I will look unto the Lord. Somebody here might want to circle this and say, I am going to pray this over my life. I'm going to pray this every night before I go to bed. I'm going to say this to myself every morning. I will look unto the Lord. You ought to memorize this. I will wait for the God of my salvation. Remember, that's not waiting like a couch potato. That's different. Think of waiting like a really good waiter or waitress in a restaurant that watches and sees your glass getting empty. And it's right there. Think of that waiter that's working hard, finding out, watching, you want this, I'm going to get you that. And that bread basket's gone, I'm ready for it. That's the kind of waiting. It's not, I'm just going to sit over here. I'll sleep, Lord, you do what you want to do. There's still, there's a work till Jesus comes. There may be prayer, maybe activity of life. Okay, I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not against me, O my enemy. When I fall, it's not over, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I've sinned against him. Now see, that's why this person got in trouble. And they were willing at least to be honest about it and say, that's why I'm in this spot. Until he plead my cause and execute judgment for me, he will bring me forth to the light and I shall behold his righteousness. Now, I did all of that. That was all prep. That's like the, that's like the beginning, the preface of the book to get to this. Wow. I've been working hard to get through that to get to this. Because this I'm really excited about. I've ruined my life. Oh, God. I've ruined my life. Mm. Okay, so it's important to know the word sojourn right away. We're going to find out the word sojourn. It means to temporarily dwell. It means to pass through. Someone say, passing through. That's right. Now, listen to this. It came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. This book of Ruth was written somewhere around Judges chapter 2. Somewhere in that time frame. Look at Judges 2. Find out what's going on. It doesn't mention a famine, but it mentions the people refusing to listen to the Lord. And the Lord telling them so. I love you. I'm reaching for you, but you refuse me. That there was a famine in the land. Now, why was there a famine in the land? Remember the verse we read before? Micaiah said, I've sinned. Because it was sin. That's why. There was an answer for this way, way back before. There's an answer to turn to the Lord. To cry to the Lord when there's a famine. But that's not what happened here. A certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn. What's he going to do? Just pass through. He's going to stay for a little bit. He's just going to go for a little bit. He's going to make a route. Going to go out. Going to make some money. Going to come on back. Going to go there. No more famine and things are good. He's going to come on back. It's a sojourn. He's just going to travel. Just going to go out and come back. I'll be back. I'm coming back. I'm going to go there. He went to sojourn in the country of Moab. Now at this time, Moab and Israel were at peace with each other, but Moab was a sworn enemy of the people of God. They served idols and they served the gods of this world and they had detestable practices. He and his wife and his two sons. 
And guess what happened to this little sojourn? It turned into a minimum of 10 years. In the Bible, we're not sure. It might have been 15 years. It have been 20. Isn't that amazing? I'm just going to go out and come back. Didn't turn out like that. I'm just going to travel and come back. Before you knew it, years ticked on by. Some of you right now, you live in a house and you say, I was only going to be here for a year, and that was eight years ago. Some of you are in a job. You said, I was just going to take this job for three months, and that was six years ago. I've talked to people like that all the time. Yeah, I love this house. I was going to come here for two years and move to Terre and then go, and then that was like 18 years ago. It just happens, doesn't it? Time just flies like that. And unfortunately, he's in the wrong place. A man of God, a wonderful godly family, and they're just going to pass through. Didn't pass through. Arms full and arms empty. Now, the Bible says that over the process of time, the husband died. We're not sure if that was relatively right away or sometime in that time frame, but, the, but he did die first. And then the two boys, of course, married women of Moabite, Moabite women. And why would that be a shock to us? Obviously, they're going to marry women of the country they're in, even though they know they're not supposed to do that. That's against God's law. Do not marry with him, the Bible says, because you don't intermingle. They don't serve your God. They serve a false God. They have detestable practices. Some of the people there are were known for their sexual promiscuity. They're known for offering children to idols and burning their little babies to the idols. These are horrible things. God despised that. Yet, here we are. We're living there. They're going to be around them. You know what I tell my kids all the time? You may not listen, but I tell them, who you date... You'll eventually marry. We all know this to be true. People say it's not true, but we see it over and over again, don't we? See how it works. You walk towards 70. You may say, I have no intention to go in towards Highway 70. I don't want to go there. But you're walking that direction. Yeah, but I'm just walking over there. I'm not going to go to 70. You just keep on walking, and guess what? You'll be there. And you'll say, how did I get here? How did my life get like this? Because you kept on walking. And we kept telling you, see the big, huge sign that says going to Highway 70? You ignored that one. And then there's 40 other little signs saying, don't go anymore. And this person saying, don't go. And this person saying, please don't go. Yeah, that's what happens. So the Bible says that now we have Ruth and her two daughters-in-law. And if you'll read the language very carefully, Ruth begins to describe her situation using words without or none. She says, I'm without any husband, without many boys, I don't have any body, I'm alone. She's doing her best to send those two girls back to their parents. They first cry and hug on her, and eventually one does go back. But Ruth says, I will not leave you. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. Before that, though, when the girls are crying, Ruth offers up her best human answer. Now, this to me is, is so funny and so sad. When the situation is incredibly impossible, this is what she can best offer to those girls. She says in Ruth chapter 1, Turn again, my daughters, and go your way. I'm too old to have a husband. We can guess to me that Ruth is about, I'm sorry, Naomi is about 50 years old here. If I should say, I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight, and should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they were grown? 
Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, it grieveth with me much for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Ruth said, here's the, here's the ridiculousness. If I could find a guy right now, I'd get married now, have, have a boy, and then have another one. Would you guys wait around for years for them to grow up and then get married to them? You see how crazy that is. That's when, that's when humans are trying to say, the only way I can fix my problem is impossibility. I need time travel. I can't fix this thing. That's how broken it is. Do you understand? It's broken beyond any ability of humans. So Ruth and Naomi travel back. Everyone's glad to see them. It's been years and years since they were there. But Naomi says, no, no. Don't you call me pleasant because that's my name. My name is pleasant. Don't call me that anymore. My name used to mean del- my delight or pleasant. I want you to call me something different now. And she said to them, call me not Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter or bitterness. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me again home empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? She said, my arms are full. When I left here, I had a husband in this arm. I had two boys over here. I had reason for living. This hand was full of reason for living. I had purpose. I had some money. We, had, we worked hard. We had a job. We had, a, we had fun. We had life. Look at my arms right now. They're empty. I have no purpose for living. I have no husband. I have no boys. I have no money. I've got nothing beneficial. All the good of life you could ask for, it's been stripped from me. And I ask myself, Lord, who is she bitter against? It seems like maybe she says the Almighty hath afflicted me, but I'm not sure she's bitter against God because she came back to the place of God. She came back to the people of God. She came back to the country of God. She doesn't ever say she's bitter against her husband. I really feel, it's hard to say for sure, that she's bitter against herself and maybe her husband. Together they made this decision. We're just going to go out. It's not going to be long. We're just going to sojourn. We'll come right back. We're going to stay out till it gets better. We're just going to get this job thing worked out. This other thing worked out. It's just a season. Just a time. And, and who is the one at fault? Naomi would say, I have ruined my life. I've ruined my life. All that I had is gone. It can never be recaptured. Somewhere way back there, miles and miles away, are three little cemetery plots, little areas, little gravestones, where husband and, and boy number one, boy number two are buried. And maybe all her dreams there too. Reasons for living. Purpose. You have to understand, being a widow in this time frame was a horrible sentence. Very, very few had anything left over from their husbands. Only a few had wealth they could live on. Most of them were immediately in the welfare system. There was a system back in those days. I'll tell you about it in a little bit. Almost all of them were in a place where they were defenseless. Anybody could take their lands or houses, and they had, there were laws from God to protect widows for that reason. Don't move the, the landmark of the widow. The Lord said, I will repay. He, he gave them laws because they were under attack. Now I've got, he, she's got a girl with her, 
her daughter-in-law, that's a Moabite girl, and they are not trusted, they're not known for godliness, they're known for sexual promiscuity, she could be attacked. She could be taken advantage of. This is a bad situation. It's not good. Talk about arms empty. She said, I, I left, my arms were full, and now my arms are empty. I've got nothing. Now, before you write anything else, I want you to think about this. Understand, in our mind, it works like this. It's very much straight line. Here's my life, and if, as long as I do everything right, and I don't mess up, as long as I don't sin, I don't make bad choices, I'm going to go all the way to success in God's kingdom. And the enemy says to you, listen to me very closely, hear me. The enemy says to you at any point along this line, if you've messed up, if you've fallen, then you've blown the whole thing. It's over. Do anybody know what I'm talking about? The enemy says to you at any point here, if you've made a bad choice, you've, you've sinned, you've lost out. That means this is over and worthless. And God says that's not the way it is at all. Imagine this. Our actual life with the Lord is like this. There's ups and downs. Unfortunately, we have horrible times. And then there's sometimes we're way back up high. We never stop. The Bible says the righteous fall seven times. That's three. That's four. So my arm's tired. Five. Okay, I don't want to fall anymore. Seven times. And then gets up. That's what makes them righteous. They continue to go and say, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to continue. We've got to understand, the enemy tries to lie to us and say, once you've gone that low, it's over. Once you've fallen, that, once you've done that, it's, it's over. It's not over. But Naomi says, my arms are empty. So here's the situation. No family. You've got to really get this. If you don't get the down part here, you won't understand. Welfare. Now, welfare in those days was different than welfare in these days. And it would be very, very humorous for me to see our nation go back to those kind of welfare days. Because the way that welfare system worked was, food is available to you as long as you get up, you go to the fields, you go to the corners of the fields, and you pick whatever that was left over, what they didn't get in the corners. And they left corners, that's for you. You could take that, and you could bring it back to your house and cook it. None of this staying at home and then them bringing grain to you. <laughs> it didn't happen. There's nobody mailing grain in this day. You actually took some serious work. Can you imagine going around to area businesses and someone saying, I need help, and actually having to go, get out, have to take steps. I mean, that's difficult to do. That's the kind of welfare they're on. No ability to get a job ever. Now, that is crazy. Women didn't have jobs and opportunities the way they do today. She's past the time of having children, so there's no possibility of having a baby. And there's therefore no man in her future and no continuation of her family or her husband's name, which is very important to her. Another part of her that's empty. You see? They live on the leftovers of the grain. Every day their main goal is to stay alive. By harvesting the corners and putting back a little grain back for the winter season. I said this before, but it's important to get it clearly. Ruth was called the Moabitess. If you read those first verses, it says, Ruth the Moabitess, or a citizen of Moab. These people were foreigners and had been enemies of Israel for many years. She did not belong there. She did not have any other hope but simply living with Naomi. Now, if you had asked them, what's the best outcome for your story. 
If you're going to pray, Naomi and Ruth, tell us how it can work out. What can God do? What do you want God to do? Their answer would have been something much different than the book. It would have been, we just believe God is going to provide for us food, that we'll have lots of food, and we'll be able to survive and be warm in the winter and make it. And maybe instead of, you know, being bitter, maybe God can bring joy back in somehow. They wouldn't have all this wonderful story. Now, I have to caution you. In church, we do this. In the world, it happens a lot. People use the Word of God inappropriately, incorrectly, as though it is a magic formula, a lever to pull, an incantation to say in business. There are truths about God's Word. There are timeless wisdoms that, if applied, do work. However, God is not a God that does work for me at my bidding, right? We don't give God our bucket list and say, God... I want this story to come back in my life. So here's the list of all the good things I want to experience. God has a plan. Now, however, if there's not hard work in the story, there's not effort, God's plan won't work. But God has a plan. It may not be their plan. It's a better plan than they could have ever thought of. God's plan for you and for me is better than you can imagine. It's higher than you can think of. It may be a little bit unusual and different and weird and have a torturous journey around the mountain, but God has a plan. Amen? All right. Here's the middle of the story. This is the part nobody likes. Hard work. Hard work. Man, this is sweaty, stinky, hard work. The one thing that Boaz noticed about Ruth was her work ethic. The Bible says he came out to his field There were men and women harvesting the grain there for three months. And he said, who is this lady? And the guy that was there said, well, she's uh, the Moabitess. You know her, she's um, Ruth's daughter-in-law. He said, oh, yeah, tell me about her. He said, she got here early before any of us did. And she's only taking a little break in the little summer um, area over there where you can get away from the little shade. But she's worked very hard. That caught his attention. Then also the comment that she is in obedience to her mother-in-law. She's listening to her mother-in-law. She's living with her. And that, that showed an attitude in Ruth that we can take for ourselves. There was very hard work. There was time of being obedient. There's time of trusting God. There's taking steps of faith. There's prayer. The middle of the story is a painful part. Nobody wants to go through that part. But God has an answer. Now here's the ending. In a very short amount of time. Three months of harvest, a, a marriage, a pregnancy, and a baby boy is born. Naomi and Ruth have now changed from the poorest of the community to living as the wealthiest. Bitter is gone. Joy is back. Arms that were empty are now full. Naomi loved this little boy so much, she carried him around and became his nanny. And guess what the woman of the town said? They said, Naomi has a baby. Now, it wasn't Naomi's baby. She wasn't really related to the baby. It was her daughter-in-law and Boaz. But God had a plan. The potter looked at a seemingly hopeless situation and made it over again. And Naomi took the child, the Bible says, and laid it in her bosom and became nurse to it. And the woman, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, there is a son born to Naomi. 
That's not exactly true, but it's like that. This baby was loved by this woman so much, there's a name he's got a baby. And the woman, her neighbors, gave it a name saying, there's a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. Now that Obed was the father of Jesse, and that Obed was the grandfather of David. Wow. We have a God that specializes in mercy. You ought to write that down somewhere in your life. God, special, does God have a specialty? Yes, it is. It's mercy. God specializes in mercy. Oh, I thank Him for that. Without it, I wouldn't stand here. You all know that. Without it, you wouldn't be here. Well, the mercy of God is so powerful, so forgiving, so constant, so consistent. Your failures are not fatal. Your failures are not final. He delights in bringing vessels of honor out of useless lumps of clay. Wow, what a powerful God we have. What a God who says, you say it's impossible, but I say it's possible. More than possible, I have a plan. I have a design. Recognize, recognize this. There's a part you play. You cannot go away here and say, do your thing, God. Do it. I trust you. You, you do God. You do good. You're good being God. And I'll just trust you. Carry on my life. That's not what the Bible says. No, no. There was hard work from Ruth in the middle of the story. You take the hard work of Ruth out, you leave her at home on the couch, and there's no story, right? There's no story. You, you, you take away Naomi's direction and wisdom and insight into a culture that Ruth has no idea what to do, how, how to approach a man, and man and woman get married, what's okay, what's not okay. Without her listening and being obedient, to Ruth in her life, you take that out, there's no story. We have a part to play. We have a part. We've got to be obedient to the Lord. We've got to walk by faith. We've got to do things. But yet, God says, I have something for you. I want you to recognize there's still three burial plots way far away. God did not raise them from the dead. He could have done that, I suppose, but he's, I know he can, but he doesn't do that. He usually allows those things to, to stay. And I'm sure somewhere in Naomi's heart that may be a memory there. But what was empty arms, I have no reason for living, became reason for living. What was, I, I had money. I was doing good. Finances were good. And we were working hard. Became nothing. And now there's no need of worry about finances again. Boaz is the richest guy in the entire area. And he takes care of her. I have no body in my life. The woman said, you have Ruth, and she's better than seven sons to you. She loves you. Your daughter-in-law cares about you. I, I, I have I'm no longer little ones in my hand. I used to carry them and love my boys and hug them. And they got, even as they got married, I held on to them. They, my arms were full, and my hands became empty. Now, her arms were full again of a little baby, a little Obed, carrying around the village. That people finally said, Naomi has got a baby from the Lord. Look at that. How God wants to take your hand that seems empty right now, your dream that seems dead, your situation that seems over, like the root in the ground. The stock is old. It's dried up. It's over. It's finished. Yet the Lord says, I've got something in plan for you. So what, what is my action steps? What do I do now? What do you do? What do I do with the situation that seems to be dead? How do I step now? There has to be a belief that God has something bigger. I've got to trust him. I've got to say, Lord, I don't see it. I have limited vision. 
I can only see so far. You see everything. I trust you and help me to walk in obedience. Help me to work. Help me to do all of my part I can do. Obedience is such a pain because I want to know. But through the door of obedience, ah, there comes knowing. As I stick a step saying, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to do it. Then I, then I, oh, Lord, look what you're doing. I realize. I understand. There are some things I won't know until I get there. And some folks say that when you get there, you won't even care to ask him all the questions you used to think you had to ask him beforehand. You won't even care about Adam and Eve's belly button or anything else like that. You'll say, I don't care. I want to be with the Lord. <laughs> you know what makes this story so heartbreaking to me? Is that I know, I know this. I know this story. I know there's situations in my life I can look at right now and say, Lord, that one seems to be impossible. I, I don't know how to fix it. It's beyond my hand. I can't pull the levers. I can't make the choices. There's situations that I say, Lord, only you can fix it. Yet he has a work for me to do. And I've got to trust him and pray and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Does anybody in this building know what I'm talking about? That, that there's a God that can help us. Come on, take a minute right now. Just raise your hand. Say, Lord, I love you. I believe you. You're a great God. You're a mighty king. You're better than anything, Lord, I can ever describe. There's no superlatives in my mouth, Lord, that communicate your worth, your value, your presence, your activeness, Lord, in my life. I love you, Jesus. 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 Yes, Lord. That's the Holy Ghost. That's the Holy Ghost calling you back again. Oh, I want to go to the potter's house. I want to be that clay. I want to lend myself there again. I want to be obedient to him.